Hello and welcome to DairyPod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. With close to 60% of all dairy farms in Australia using some form of irrigation on their land, it is important to continually find more ways to use and manage the water resources. Additionally, as parts of the country are now in flood recovery and some regions are able to commence irrigation, in this Dairy Pod episode, Dairy Australia's National Soils and Irrigation Lead, Kath Leskin, discusses with Climate Adaptation Lead, Kath Ashby, some of the current challenges facing farmers when it comes to effective irrigation. They delve into the Smarter Irrigation for Profit 2 project, which resulted in research with multiple outcomes. The conversation also outlines a range of recommendations that came from the SIP2 program, the result of a six-year study across seven dairy regions in Australia. Hello and welcome, Kath. Before we jump into the discussion on Smarter Irrigation for Profit, can you please tell us a bit about who you are and what you do at Dairy Australia? Yeah, hi, Cathy. Thank you. I am the national lead for soils and irrigation uh, within the Dairy Australia farm team. So my role there is around looking at um, priorities for research, development and extension in terms of irrigation and irrigation efficiency or soils and, and nutrient management. Um, I came to this role from um, previous roles as an agronomist uh, in the dairy industry, but also more broadly in the beef and sheep industry, as well as uh, some research roles and extension roles as well. Great. Thanks, Kath. And so I guess to summarise, um, could you put into um, a few words for us some of the current challenges that are facing the industry regarding irrigation? Yeah, certainly can, Cathy. Uh, within within dairy farms, there's about 58% of farmers that actually irrigate some part of their land. In some regions, this is much, much higher. So in Murray Dairy area, it's around 96% of dairy farmers uh, irrigate. Uh, in Tasmania, it is about, it's about 75% of farmers that irrigate. And in some areas, it's, it's not nearly as much at all. But all regions in Australia actually have farmers that irrigate their land. Um, and so with reduced water availability and increasing energy prices, there's uh, and that certainly affects the pressurised systems, not so much the border check systems or the gravity-fed systems, but the pressurised systems, um, we find ourselves really having to improve our water uh, productivity um, and water efficiency and energy efficiency as well. So incorrect irrigation practices um, can reduce that water efficiency and we really need to look at how we can improve water productivity um, using irrigation. So with these, um, I guess, the increased need for that increased productivity, uh, what can you tell us about the Smarter Irrigation for Profit project and, and what was the objectives of that program? Yeah, well, the Smart Irrigation for Profit project was a um, partnership with other industries, and those industries were grains, the grains industry, cotton, rice, sugar and dairy was the fifth industry that were involved in the Smart Irrigation for Profit. Uh, and we gained funding through Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry from the Rural R&D for Profit program. Now, this funding actually was in two stages. We had funding from 2015 to 18, which was the Smarter Irrigation for Profit Phase 1, and from 2019 to 22 was Smarter Irrigation for Profit 2. So the SIP1 project identified that there was uh, really 
poor knowledge and application of the irrigation basics. So this was farmers really understanding the use of technologies that could assist them with irrigation decisions or the timing of irrigation to maintain their readily available water and even understanding what readily available available water is and what it means to their irrigation system. So SIP1 certainly identified those uh, practical and technical knowledge gaps, as well as some of the barriers to adoption of, of those of improved that improved knowledge. So SIP2 uh, was developed to fast track adoption of the technologies that could assist with irrigation decision making. And there were four projects within the dairy industry, uh, where two were on autonomous and precision irrigation, and two were extension projects looking at extending the information and getting application of technologies on farm to improve water and energy use efficiency. These four projects were four projects of 14 sub-projects within the Smarter Irrigation for Profit 2 project. So the other 10 projects were across the other industries, so the grains, the cotton, the rice and the sugar industries. And because this was a collaborative approach and a collaborative project, uh, many of the key learnings from those other industries could be used in the dairy industry as well. So it was a large project and it was um, the investment was large and the outcomes were really good for dairy. That's that's quite a comprehensive um, and a broad scope of the project then across the whole of Australia. Um, obviously, we talked about the different systems and, and trials that were done. What kind of um, engagement do you know um, was achieved with regards to farmer uptake in the project? Yeah, the farmer uptake uh, for dairy. So I'll specifically talk about a project uh, that Dairy Australia led, which was called um, What's My Yield Gap? Maximising Water Productivity. Um, and it was one of the extension projects that Dairy funded. Uh, the other extension project was um, Beyond Water Smart, was uh, conducted in Tasmania across the Tasmanian uh, sites. So with the What's My Yield Gap in maximising water productivity, we had 10 optimisation sites across the mainland of Australia. So we had the, a site up in subtropical area. We had two sites in Dairy New South Wales. We had four sites in uh, Victoria and we had two sites in South Australia and one site in um, Western Australia. So in all, we had 10 sites. These sites were systems that were different feed-based systems as well as different irrigation setups. So from pressurised systems to border check systems, um, we had centre pivots, we had lateral moves, uh, and quite a variety of the different irrigation systems. So the uptake from these sites was really very good. In terms of what we did on the sites, we actually implemented a few of the technologies that we talked about from SIP1 were sort of was, became aware that these technologies, if implemented on farm and used to really improve the decision-making of farmers, then it, we would improve the water productivity of the farmers or above the farm. So some of those technologies we used were soil moisture probes, and these probes were put in in different soil types across the different farms, um, and that was really about getting an indication of when irrigation is needed. Um, we had weather stations attached to those soil moisture probes, as well as um, technology, so telemetry, which which 
provided the data in real time to the farmer. So using an app on their phone, they could they could um, get that data from the soil probes in real time. We can explore that a little bit further in a minute, but one of the other technologies we used was Eripasture. Now, Eripasture is a water budget uh, tool which was implemented across all of the sites as well. We also looked at using weather forecast information, and this came from uh, SWAN systems, and that was looking at the evapotranspiration across a site as well as the expected rainfall. And that, that information can then be used to also help with that irrigation decision. So I'm keen to explore a bit more about the uh, tools that you were utilising on farm to measure soil moisture and for um, making key decisions around when to irrigate on these sites. Kath, can you elaborate a bit about the soil moisture probes that you were using in the program? Yeah, thanks, Cathy. The, the soil moisture probes, um, generally we had them 0 to 40 centimetres when it was a, a ryegrass type perennial pasture system. Um, we used down to 80 centimetre probes for something like Lucen, which we had at one of our sites at Mount Compass. Um, and these uh, probes have got in-ground sensors that enable easy and accurate measuring and monitoring of, of where the, what the soil moisture is across the, across the soil type. Um, and gives you an idea of what the where the readily available water is. Now, readily available water is a concept in itself that needs to be understood. And that readily available water we think about in, is different in different soils and is different depending on different crops. So that readily available water goes from the field capacity of the soil through to refill point. And that refill point is um, is is varied, as I said, dependent on different soil types and different crops. Um, and they are the best way available to determine when a paddock um, requires irrigating. So many of our farmers really uh, like to using those soil moisture monitors. They provided them with the information they, that they needed to determine when they would irrigate. Um, in some instances, some of the guys irrigated um, sooner in terms of when they would normally. So they started up their irrigation at the beginning of the season earlier. And, and in, in one instance, though, um, the irrigation was started up a little bit later in, in terms of the third season of the project anyway. So what it was showing the farmers is, is um, giving them a really good base and, and good evidence of when they could start to irrigate, which means that they kept their soil moisture in that readily available water zone, which was optimum for the plants that they were growing. I've often heard the term um, referred to as using the bucket and making sure that the bucket's at the right level. Is that something that we talk about when talking about readily available water? Yes, that's right. So the amount of um, soil or the amount of water that a soil can hold is dependent on the soil type. And so if you think about a um, bucket, the soil can't hold any more water than the complete bucketful. And then when it's using used it, it needs to be replenished. Another another um sort of analogy that people use for that readily available water is is a big sponge. So if you wet a sponge and it's dripping, you've actually got too much water in it. This is an analogy. Um, as it dries out and you can't squeeze any more water out of it, out of the sponge, even though there's water in it, you can't squeeze any more out of it. 
that is when you'd have to start to think about refilling or irrigating your soil to um, make sure that you keep that soil in that readily available water zone. That's all about utilising that soil moisture probe and getting a real-time picture of, of where that bucket level's sitting or your, your moisture of your sponge to make sure that your pasture is getting that optimum uh, water availability so you're getting maximum productivity. Because I guess at the end of the day, it's all about growing more crop, whether that be ryegrass or lucerne. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, when you can't squeeze any more water out of that, out of that sponge, the plant can't take any more water up without really expending its own energy to take that water up. So to keep that soil moisture in the in the readily available water zone means that the plant, whatever the type of plant is, whether it is a lucerne, whether it's millet, whether it's perennial ryegrass or whether it's maize, that plant is taking that water up um, without having to expend further energy when um, it, it doesn't need to. So... With that in mind then, what were some of the results you found by ensuring that people were, say, for instance, starting up at the right time, coming out of that winter break and moving into those spring, spring warmer days? Did you see any results come out of that? Yeah, so over the course of the project, so the project um, was over a three-year period. Um, people will recall, though, we've had uh, in, ni- in 1920 when you know, 2019, 2020, when the project started, we were actually in some regions coming out of a run of really dry years. Um, And then we went into a run of quite wet years and certainly in season three, um, there was actually floods over a a number of our sites. So what what I guess that did was provided a whole range of variation in the seasons. So some of our measurements were really um, challenged by that variation in the seasons but um, the learnings from having the soil moisture probes in the ground you know those people that did start up earlier um, their their productivity improved and so they some some people grew more some people didn't grow more because of different things but they actually um, reduced their energy costs or they reduced their irrigation water costs and things like that the other aspect of it was that the when there was a wet year um for example, a farmer over near the Bega region was able to time his irrigations using the soil moisture probe as well as the forecasting, so his weather forecast, which told him of his ETO and his expected rainfall. He was able to manage the timing of his irrigations um, more precisely because of the information that he had. So he was able to grow just as much because of the rainfall and his irrigations, but he certainly spent less um, on his on his water that particular year. One of the other aspects of um, having deeper probes is that you, when your pasture or your crop is utilising soil further down the profile, um, you can see the irrigation timing and the frequency of application and the rate of application was actually improved, which also gave um, more production in the system. So the aim is, you know, it's not just about where the soil moisture is. The aim is actually about growing more grass or growing more feed and and being able to um, provide that to the dairy cows. And I guess as part of that too, you have some some really um, key data and some figures that can line up to support those assumptions that we were testing as part of the project. Um, can you talk a little bit about the um, the dry matter measurements that were being done as part of the um, 
part of the science? Yeah, so again, due to the um, variation across across all of the sites, we had 10 optimization site coordinators, and each of those coordinators were were a linchpin to the groups that we had around the optimization site farms. So as I mentioned before, the farms went from subtropical region right right down the coast through Victoria, South Australia, and across to Western Australia. So each of those optimization sites um, <clears throat> On each of those optimization sites, we measured pasture dry matter. Some of those were measured via cages um, and pasture cuts. Some were measured by a plate metering on a on a weekly basis. But because of that, we do have some really good information on what the yields were. And one of the other measures that we use is a tons of dry matter per megalitre of water. And that megalitre of water is what's grown um, from irrigation and rainfall. So the megalitre is not just the irrigated megalitre, it's the it's irrigation and rainfall. So our range of tonnes of dry matter per megalitre of water ranged uh, from about 0.9 tonne of dry matter per megalitre up to greater than three tonne of dry matter per megalitre of water. Um, and again, I say that's irrigation and rain, rainfall, um, which is a really big range. Now, that range, what that says to us is that we've got a huge range of um, dry matters grown per megalitre of water, which in some instances is is well into what we would consider a really good um, dry matter grown. But in other instances, we know that we need to improve that. Now, whether that's improving it with um, better species for the site that we've got um, or fixing up some other soil constraints such as uh, maybe pH or something like that. In some of the sites we did find there are other soil constraints. It wasn't just irrigation that was affecting productivity. Um, yes, yeah, so there's some of the things that we you might be able to look at as well. But the other one is making sure that we're getting that irrigation timing um, correct so that we are optimising all of the water that we were putting on. And the worst scenario is a green drought scenario where we've got, we are irrigating, we're putting on a lot of water, but we're not keep, keeping that soil moisture in the readily available water so our plants aren't growing at the, um, as productive as they could be. So that's really highlighting the need to pull together all that relevant information that's available to, to our farmers um, and making absolute maximum use of, of that information at the time. I'm keen now if we can have a chat about the um, eight principles of water productivity, which is um, a topic some people may have heard of before. Um, can you elaborate for us a bit about, about these principles? Yes, yeah, so the eight principles are really around what what can we do to make sure that we are optimising and or maximising our water productivity? And it's not only about the readily available water, which I have talked about quite a bit in this session, um, because it is really, really important, but there's other aspects of, um, of irrigation that need to be addressed as well. Now, one of them is um, looking at the soil moisture probes and ensuring that we've got soil moisture probes that are in and working and giving you the information that you really need. Um, another one is looking at that weather-based irrigation scheduling tool, such as Erie Pastures. So there's other tools out there, but the Dairy Australia have put um, development money into this tool called Erie Pasture. It is free. Um, it's a free web-based tool that everybody can access, and it's, it is a water budgeting tool. So it will give um, – and it – 
reduces the need to have a soil moisture probe if you don't want to go to to that level, but it certainly gives ideas as to how um, what the water budget is and, and when you should be irrigating. Using a weather forecasting system is, a, is another um, principle or an idea that people can use these weather forecasting systems. You can get your evapotranspiration and your rainfall and make your irrigation decisions based on having that information as well. We Just on at... evapotranspiration there, Kath, can you probably explain to some of our listeners who might not be familiar with that term what, uh, why you would need to measure evapotranspiration and what that is? Yeah, that's a good good question, Cathy. The evapotranspiration is the um, pretty much the water that is used via transpiration of the plant and evaporation from the soil. So putting that together, that's the total evapotranspiration of the plant and the soil. So it's what's used on a daily basis or a weekly basis um, from the soil, which is you know depleting the soil moisture. So what you're going to find is that if you've got an evaporation, evapotranspiration of um, five mils a day, over a seven-day period, you've got 35 mils of evapotranspiration. Now, that might be in a, in a summer period in some areas, but that 35 mils has to come from somewhere that'll come out of your soil moisture. Now, if, you, if your readily available water isn't 35 mils a day, then you are not going to have to um, irrigate more frequently than that, that week. So if your um, readily available water is only 20 mils for your soil type and your the plant that you're growing or the pasture species that you're growing, then um, you'll have to irrigate every four days. So using a water budgeting or balancing tool like Iripasture might really help in making those calculations at a, at a pretty quick and easy way. Yes. And once you've set up Iripasture, it um, it is pretty good and it is also available on on your phone as well. So just that um, that information is available at your fingertips once you've set Erie Pasture up. Now there is a bit of setting up for that, but it's it's not too onerous really. And there's the ongoing um, irrigations that you do have to put into that Erie Pasture tool. But what that gives you at the end is that, you know, as an example, you need to irrigate 15 mils within the next three days to make sure that you are maintaining that soil um, readily available water. Yeah, so it really sets some goalposts for you to make sure that you're keeping within within that readily available water zone. So mm. really good tool um, and useful, which is freely available. So following on from that, Kath, can you um, please tell our audience, what are the key principles that farmers can implement to improve their productivity from irrigation? Yeah, so from the project, we really did identify, and, and these were identified through SIP1 and into SIP2 as well, and for other, other crops and other industries, but we've ident identified where we can get increased water productivity um, and from implementing some of these key principles. Now, number one is really about maintaining your irrigation system to ensure efficient and effective operation. Now, maintaining that system will be around a yearly um, checklist, go and check your pump, check your sprinklers, check that check that everything is is working properly before the beginning of the irrigation season. Another and that's a real is, key one, isn't it, Kath, the whole checking your system and making sure those sprinklers are actually working as they should be. Um, I know driving around, you occasionally see the odd pivot with the, the sprinkler head that's not flying like it should. What would be your advice there for, for farmers? 
Yes, certainly at the beginning of the season, make sure that everything's working as it should. But the step on from that, and this is a really key one that we did find through this um, project, was that so we've checked that all our sprinklers are working and we can visually see that they're working, but then to actually do a catch-can test or some testing on the pumps to see whether they're actually performing to the level that they should be performing to is that next step on. Now, we through the project, we had um, eight pressurised systems of which we had um, a system evaluation done. Now, that evaluation matches, you know, your pump performance to what your pump should be performing at. Now, in many systems, uh, pumps the pumps weren't performing as they should have been performing and, and recommendations were made to, you know, overall overhaul um, some parts of the pump. Or just so really that's, a, that's quite a, a quick and, I guess, effective um, act that people can take to see how their whole system's going. Um, yeah. what, what sort of financial gains would you expect from that? Like is it, is it a very expensive process or, or what's the results from that that you've found? Yeah, I think depending on what had to be completed um, would depend on, you know, some people did actually go and buy totally new pumps right. um, and the pumps were then matched to the to the requirements of the whole system. So where people maybe had three centre pivots going from one pump, the pump was effective and efficient with one of the pivots but not with the other ones, sort of that sort of thing. Um, but unless you do that, total evaluation, um, you can't actually see whether your system is performing at the level that it should be performing at. The other one with the irrigation systems is the sprinkler package, as you, as you mentioned before, Cathy, and we can tell when there's when there's a nozzle stuck or a nozzle isn't working properly, but um, it's a lot harder to tell unless you go and measure it whether the um, distribution is uniform or not. So with that distribution uniformity of the whole sprinkler, um, pivot system, you know, what's that uniformity? And we have benchmarks for that uniformity. Um, and what we found was that many of the systems that we evaluated didn't have the, the level of the uniformity that they should have had. In one instance, the uniformity um, along, along the irrigation system reduced as it went up the hill and um, there was a lot less water application at the outer parts of the of the irrigation system, which means that a lot of your area was not being watered properly. So from a cost perspective, um, changing a sprinkler package is probably, um, you know, quite effective in terms of making sure that your distribution is uniform and that you're getting the best out of most out of your water when you're applying it as well. So that's sort of one of the one of the big ones that um, I think people don't or forget about is in terms of maintaining the system. Yes, it's working, all the sprinklers are working, but is it working at the performance level that it should be working at? Um, looking at another principle was about the readily available water, and we have covered that one. So it is making sure that you know and understand what your readily available water is and making sure that you keep your soil moisture within that readily available water. And ways to do that would be to use soil moisture probes, um, look at a water balance calculator tool to inform irrigation scheduling decisions such as pasture, as we've talked about as well. So making sure that we've got those tools ready to um, help with those irrigation decisions. Monitoring and forecasting your evapotranspiration and your rainfall information to assist in that a more immediate decision as well is important. Um, commencing irrigation on time 
So that was that's another principle and, and using those tools that we've talked about, such as your water budget tool or your soil moisture probes to make sure that you're commencing that irrigation on time. So for, my, for a lot of our sites, it was earlier in the season and um, commencing after rainfall at, a, at the appropriate time as well and using that information about your readily available water to actually make sure that you start up between rainfall events as well on time. So- that's a really key one, isn't it, Kath? Because, I mean, especially this season, we've got a lot of um, unseasonal uh, rainfall coming through in quite heavy showers. And I guess people might be, uh, I guess, caught up in thinking that there's enough soil moisture still sitting in the soil um, following that rainfall event. Um, what was um, a key finding that you found uh, with regards to that and the soil moisture monitoring? Yes, and it was a really key learning for one of our sites where he had, had, as I mentioned earlier, the you know really wet season in season three of the project, um, a lot of rainfall happening, but there were periods of where it was hot and windy and the evapotranspiration was um, a lot higher. And knowing that evapotranspiration, having those soil moisture probes in the ground provided that information for that um, optimisation site farmer to really make sure that between rainfall events, he also irrigated when he needed to. Um, There was also some um, optimisation site farmers who made the decision to not irrigate because the forecast was saying to them, in one day I'm going to get another dump of rain and I'm going to... um, trust the forecast, I guess. So they might have been a day out, but they trusted the forecast. But it's that fine-tuning of that decision-making which uh, really helped improve the productivity of, of these farms. That's a really important finding and obviously um, great that I guess the farmers were able to utilise all that information that was available to them through through the project. Um, mm. So I guess... Bringing that all together then, I mean, there's there's a lot of key takeaways that people can have from our conversation today. Um, from your perspective, what do you think are sort of, say, three key things that a farmer can focus on now, um, say, before making any major investments? Um, what are three things that a farmer can do to make improvements for their own water use and productivity? Yeah, that's a good one, Cathy. Um, I think that... Well, the information obviously is really important to have that information, that understanding of of, um, the readily available water. So to make sure that you've got the understanding of what your readily available water is for the crop type that you're growing. So again, readily available water is determined by your soil texture and your rooting depth of your crop. So Lucerne is going to have a different readily available water in the same soil texture as what a perennial ryegrass would have. So it's it's going to be a a greater readily available water. So understanding that, having soil moisture probes um, in your system, which gives you that idea of when you would have to irrigate, so when you're reaching a refill point. If you don't want to go down to that soil moisture probes, um, use some of the um, forecast information, so your ETO and your rainfall, and do a water budget. Um, Your water budget tools such as Erie Pasture can be used and they're free online. Um, Google Erie Pasture and that can be found. Um, And then making sure that your system, um, that you know the capacity of your system and that your system's working. And then the next step for that one is to make sure it's working at the performance level that it should be working at. So there's a few key ones there. Um, And even if a couple of those are carried out, they, um, uh, some improvements in water productivity may be found. Thanks, Kath. That's um, 
that's wonderful and some really great um, takeaways there for everyone today. Well, thank you, Kath Leskin, for your time today um, and for your sharing your experience with the Smarter Irrigation for Profit project. Thanks, Kathy. If you would like to find out more about the Smarter Irrigation for Profit 2 program and the related resources, you can find more information at dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash Smarter Irrigation for Profit or by contacting your local regional office. We do hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and remember that there are plenty more on a broad range of dairy industry topics covered in the Dairy Pod program. So please don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. If you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Bye.